And at this time, Matt Steele will come and bring a split sermon titled Lack of Knowledge. Good afternoon, everybody. I had a hard time preparing this message. Didn't really want to prepare this message. Sometimes you get an idea or a topic or something that somebody said to you or something that you read or heard and it inspires a message and it it just almost writes itself. But this message was not one that I wanted to write for many different reasons. But it was a difficult one, and I tried to do something else, but nothing else came, so I will proceed. The events of eight days ago are still, of course, very raw in our minds. They were disturbing, they were sickening, saddening to indescribable levels. To make sense of what happened eight days ago in human terms, it's indescribable. Human words fail. There's nothing I could say, there's nothing anyone could say, is there? In fact, to the point that I didn't turn on the television or the radio I didn't want to hear what all the talking heads would be espousing, all the solutions that the politicians say that they have to the problem. I didn't want to hear it. I read a little bit online just to get the specifics. And then even then, I in some ways regretted it. All of the conversation and the news media and everything that has happened as a result of it is vanity. Vanity. All of it empty. Nothing anyone can do or say will ever restore the preciousness that was lost. Nothing. I'm mindful. You know, we, we don't observe Christmas. But that has got to be a very difficult day for the parents of those children. And as some of you here know very well what that loss is like and can speak to it much better than I in the very raw and rare terms that you've experienced. Nothing can replace what was lost and certainly not the words of men. And when I heard about what happened, maybe like some of you, scriptures came to my mind because there was nothing else to say. There was nothing, nowhere else to go to, to try and make sense, to try and understand. Three scriptures specifically entered my mind on that day, later that day. The first was in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 15. Thus says the Lord, A voice was heard in Ramah, 
lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they were no more. I focused on that verse a lot. Most of last week, I put it on my Facebook. Dwelt on that. Prayed for the families around that scripture. And I think that it was good to use that scripture and to focus that way. But, but then I realized something. I was forgetting the next part. Because it doesn't just stop there. As painful as that is, it doesn't just stop there. Because we, were, we serve, as Ken said earlier, we serve a living God. And he is the one who decides when the end of the story is, when the end of the world is. We serve a redeemer, a savior. And he would never leave them in death. So it says, thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, said the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy, from the land of death. They will come back. There is a hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border, to their own family. Those precious ones will live again. As empty in some ways as that seems now, they will live again. And along with all the other children throughout the world, through, throughout time, that have been taken before their time, they will live again. And when they are raised again, they will be the children living in that world where nothing will hurt or destroy anymore. Where there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, and they will be the children that lead the lions around in the kingdom of God. We have to hold on to that. We have to believe this. Otherwise, how could we live in this world? How could we endure what happens in this world? The second scripture that rose to the forefront of my mind was found in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. What does that mean? What does it mean that his people are destroyed for lack of knowledge? Does it mean that these things happen because we don't understand gun control? Does it happen because we don't know how to secure our schools? We don't have correct procedures? Does it happen because we don't understand the mental health issues of individuals and those in our community? What is the knowledge that we are missing? In a very effective and enlightening uh, blog and article, I got this from my brother-in-law, Trevor. John Eldridge, a respected Christian author, helps in part to answer some of this question of what the lack of knowledge is that causes our destruction. 
He says, I hope you will forgive my honesty, but I do not understand the shock, the grief. The grief I understand, the speechlessness, the staggering and profound sorrow, the overwhelming sense of violation. These I understand. We are reeling from yet another assault of darkness. But our shock reveals something else altogether, something even more dangerous than armed violence. I'm describing a naivete about the world that Christians, at least, should not be toying with. In his brilliant essay, The Wind in the Trees, G.K. Chesterton explains our misunderstanding by means of a great storm that he experienced. He says, I'm sitting under tall trees with a great wind boiling like surf around the tops of them, so that their living load of trees rocks and roars. The wind tugs on the trees as if it might pluck them from the roots and all out of the earth like tufts of grass. Or, to try yet another desperate figure of speech for this unshakable energy, the trees are straining and tearing and lashing as if they, they were terrible, uh, a tribe of dragons, each tied by the tail. As I look at these top-heavy giants tortured by invisible and violent witchcraft, a phrase comes back to my mind. I remember a little boy of my acquaintance who was once walking in Battersea Park under just such a torn skies and tossing trees. He said at last to his mother, well, why don't you just take away the trees and then it wouldn't wind? Nothing can be more intelligent or natural than this mistake. Anyone looking for the first time at the trees might fancy that they were indeed vast and titanic fans, which by their mere waving agitated the air around them for miles. Nothing, I say, could be more human and excusable than the belief that it is the trees which make the wind. Indeed, it is a belief so human and excusable that it is, as a matter of fact, the belief of about 99 out of 100 of the philosophers, reformers, sociologists and politicians of the great age in which we live. My small friend was, in fact, very like the principal modern thinkers, only much nicer. Chesterton was describing the naivete that has since paralyzed the world, a naivete that, revealed, that is revealed by our shock. What do you really believe about the cause of the storm. You would think that after a century which included the Holocaust, Stalin, uh, the Khmer Rouge, the rise of terrorism, to name but a few, we would have been cured from our childish ideas about evil. You would think that after any one of the hundreds of atrocities of the past few years, we would have been cured. Rwanda, 9-11, human trafficking, what? Eldridge says, is it going to take? I was heartened at first by the words of the Connecticut governor, Dan Malloy, when he said evil visited this community today. That is exactly right. That is precisely what happened. But the clarity he may have, uh, he may have only being used as a metaphor was quickly lost in the subsequent me media barrage. Our leaders are reenacting 
are reacting to the Newtown massacre by calling for gun control. How unspeakably foolish. Now, this is not an essay about gun control. I'm speaking to our understanding of our situation and the forces we're dealing with. But the cries for gun control reveal the naivety. They are crying for the trees to be cut down while they ignore the wind. It is this naivety regarding evil that is the crisis of our age, and it is most dangerous. For the Christian knows certain things about the world, things we must never lose hold of. We know from whence evil comes. We know uh, what to do about it. We know or are supposed to know that we live in a world at war, that we are living in the midst of a very real and extremely brutal battle with the kingdom of darkness. While most Christians are still playing at happy little life and angry at God for allowing terrible things to, to happen, the scriptures continually warn us of a great evil power who rules the world from which we must contend. And then he quotes from Ephesians 6, verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. In other words, with the demonic. But apparently T.S. Eliot was right. Humankind cannot bear too much reality. Isn't that the case? Head in the sand. We seem, we seem utterly devoted to avoiding the question of evil, to misdiagnosing it, completely committed to a childish view of the world, and our foolishness is proving very costly. For as Chesterton went on to say, the great human heresy is that the trees move the wind. By this he means the heresy that it is economics, race, poverty, a political party or doctrine that are the real causes of evil in the world. In this case, that it is the lack of gun control that causes evil in the world. Is the evil therefore located in the gun, he asks? How long will we continue to ignore the actual wind that tortures this world? I think he makes a very profound point, does he not? That we react to the trees and not to the wind. What he says is that man sees the acts of evil committed against the most innocent, and we think that the trees caused it. We think that the circumstances of our society created the evil, right? I think I even heard the NRA talking about that. They were talking about violent movies. Violent movies are bad, and they do influence. But they are not the wind. They are the trees. TV shows, video games, books, and stories, and novels are just as corrupting and just as evil. We say, too many guns. And others say, too few guns. Unarmed teachers, not enough security. All of these things are trees blowing in the wind. Chesterton's analogy is accurate. They wave and swoon and whip up the wind of evil in our society. 
That's what people think. That's what our leaders think. Yet this is not the case. Evil is the cause, and all these other degradations in our society are the warning signs. They are the alarms. There's something wrong with our society, is there not? When you have Quentin Tarantino movies. Nothing but violence. Unmitigated, unrestrained. And the same is true in video games. All kinds of aspects of our media and our culture. Do they influence? Yes. But are they the wind? No. We, as a people, are destroyed because we don't have this knowledge. As a community, as a nation, we don't have the knowledge of evil. We cannot, as a society, have knowledge of evil. It is impossible. Why? Because we have adopted the religion of evolution. Think about it. If you practice and follow the religion of evolution, there is no evil. And I think this is an aspect that Eldridge could have put in his article. Because our leaders, for sure, and our community growing in our community is this acceptance of evolution. In a society that has adopted an evolutionary worldview, the term evil is just a figure of speech. For in evolution, there is in the end no moral code. There is no good, there's no evil. There is no right and there's no wrong. There are just a series of causes and effects biological processes that affect the physical world. Some win, some lose. There's no good, there's no evil. Some suffer and some benefit. There is no truth other than the evolutionary process. There is no reason as reason itself is but a bioelectrical process. There is no reason. And if there, if there is no reason, then there is no unreasonable behavior. And so then, there is no evil. There can be no sin. There can be no unreasonable acts. We are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, to be filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliceness, full of envy, murder, strife, Deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, 
disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, and unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgments of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but approve of those that practice them. How do we approve of those that practice them? Well, certainly nobody would ever publicly or privately, I would hope, approve of what happened eight days ago. But as a community, we do it every time we go to the movies. Every time we turn on television shows that glorify these kinds of behaviors that destroy the very fabric of our society. As a community, we approve of these things. We actually pay money to go watch somebody do these things. Blowing in the trees. We glorify and glamorize wickedness. All the while, the trees are waving, the storm is swirling, and if we're doing anything at all, if we're doing anything at all, we're just looking for the axe. Instead of looking to our Savior. Because the axe is only useful against the trees, not against the wind. And I know of only one man that calms the wind. In Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear, that your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, and your tongues have muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does anyone plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. And then dropping down to verse 9, Therefore justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness for brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. And as evil and as wicked and as soul-destroying as eight days ago was, we haven't seen anything yet. Evil can never be understood when we practice the religion of evolution. Righteousness can never be understood either. And you know, Satan has manipulated large portions of our country, of our leadership for sure, of our politicians and our media, manipulated into thinking that himself, that he himself does not exist. And he's fine with that. Because it also means he's manipulated them to thinking that God does not exist. 
And in a certain sense, it's true, isn't it? Because to large sections of our country, God doesn't exist. And we just read it's almost the other way around, too. Because God does not see us because of the sin. We are hiding from us. We are hiding behind. And all of that is fine. Yeah, you can not believe in God. And you can not believe in Satan. And you can not believe in evil. As long as you're willing to suffer the consequences. Because we want God to be out of our lives. To be over here, somewhere else. To not get in the way of how we want to live. But man, is he the fall guy when something happens we don't like. We don't want God to exist as a nation, as a community. And God really does allow us to choose. You know, he does not treat us like two-year-olds. Where we'll just, well, we'll let them think they're choosing, but I'm going to move them away from that boiling water. At some point, God stops doing that. He tells us, I will stop doing that. At some point, he cannot support our lifestyle anymore. He cannot bear to watch what we do. He is merciful and patient, and he will try and warn us. He'll bail us out many times. We can always point to those times, personally and as a nation and as a world. But when we are so immersed in evil, he can no longer shield us. He can no longer protect us. And the consequences, no matter how much he wants to stop them, he cannot. Because he knows there is good and there is evil. And he is good. And he cannot support or protect evil. At the start of my message, I said there was another scripture that came to the forefront of my mind. And that was in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. But when we read it in context, it is very chilling and very sobering. He says, hear the word of the Lord in verse 1. You children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing, committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away. With the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Now let no man contend or rebuke another, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. Therefore you shall stumble in the day. The prophet also shall stumble with you in the night. And I will destroy your mother. Wow. That's pretty aggressive. It's pretty condemning language. Our prophets, our leaders, they won't save us. They'll stumble. And we'll stumble right after them. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, 
I also will reject you from being a priest before me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Evil exists in the world. It is pervasive. It is endemic. It is everywhere. But God has shielded us from it. He has provided us protective covering. He has kept us very safe. And if we had lived in other parts of the world for all of our life, we would know what evil is. Where it happens daily. It's still shocking and surprising to us because it happens rarely. But that protection, that shield, that covering is failing. Not because God is failing. Because he gave us that covering. He gave us his law. He gave us knowledge. And then he gave us his life. And we're rejecting all of it. We as a society are rejecting all three. And we are making it impossible for God to protect us. And the forces of darkness are starting to seep or dare I say, rush in through the cracks. To this dreadful wind and storm of darkness, we can really only speak one thing now. There's only one scripture that comes to mind. Thy kingdom 